Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. If I was to identify one issue in the world, most common issue from men, women, tall, short, here, there, educated, uneducated, young, old, we are all unheard. We are unheard at work, we are unheard at home, and we are unheard everywhere in between. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome back to another episode of The Truth Prescription. Today I had a real pleasure. I got to talk to a real gem, a real wise wise woman in our midst, uh, Miss Mitra Manesh. She's the founder of the Inner Map app. She's also a professor at UCLA uh, in Mindful Awareness, and she's been a coach for 35 years. Her truth uh, actually revolved around the acceptance of a friend's death when she was around 12. So we get into that. We talked about the Mindful Awareness app and how it can help folk uh, be more conscious and present. We discussed the power of a technique she calls changing the question. You guys should really listen to that. It's really, really powerful. We get into coaching and why coaching works, what makes a good coach and why it doesn't work sometimes. And then in Yes or BS, we really got real potent in Yes or BS. We talked about the drama trauma circle. So we'll talk about that. We talked about how racism is really about competition. We finished talking about a, a very, very important concept, which is globally, our major deficiency as people is really just not being heard. And we go into some details on that. So really put your hands on your heart on this one as you listen. Uh, it's a good one. Uh, a lot of wise words. Hope you enjoy the episode. Close your eyes and open your ears and let's get it. Good people. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Miss Mitra Manesh. Hi, Mitra. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Mitra is the founder of the Intermap app. She's a professor at UCLA in their Mindful Awareness Research Center, where she teaches mindfulness. She's the host of Lights On Podcast, and she's been a performance coach, mind, mindful performance coach for 35 years. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. One of the things that I, I love about uh, the work that you're doing is you practice and you teach both mindful listening and mindful speaking. So I will, you know, do my best to be mindful in my, when I speak, and I will also do my best to be mindful in my listening as you're, as you're doing right now, which I appreciate. Before we start, one thing I want to share with the listeners is this, and I'm not going to explain what it is until after. Let's just listen. 
Okay. So that was some sounds from the Intermap app. And specifically, that sound was be accepting. So I wanted to set that tone for this interview before we, uh, before we get into it. And we'll talk a little bit more about the Intermap app and um, what it has to offer for, uh, for folks. So, Mitra, why don't we jump right into the truth prescription? For people that have listened to my show in the past, they know that truth is something that we tend to run from. And what I like to do on this show is talk about those truths that we were ignoring or that we weren't aware of that once we accepted them created a big breakthrough for us. Because I found that in my life and most of my guests can also attest to that. So you've lived a life, you're of a certain experience and age. You won't go into what that age is, but you're a wise woman. You've lived a, a life from your childhood to now. Maybe you want to share with us. So I'd like you to share with us a uh, time, a moment, a story about a truth that you either ignored or you weren't aware of that once you accepted it, huge doors opened up for you. Thank you. Yeah, I have uh, no problem, by the way, talking about my age. I just turned 63 in August. Okay. I remember one of oh. my clients, actually, who's a famous, uh, what do they call it, cosmetic surgeons. He told me that he can remove easily my uh, wrinkles. <laughs> and I said, oh, <laughs> you don't know how expensive they were to gain them. Uh-huh. I lose them. He said, I'll do it free. I said, no, 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 no. They were quite expensive. So, right, yes, right. I'm 63 and I have lived a very beautifully challenging, rich, growing life. And the first thing that comes to to heart when you talk about acceptance is uh, the first memory of experiencing death of a loved one that comes to my heart. I was quite young and it's, this is actually one of the stories in Inner Map. My best friend who was about, um, I think I was about 10 or 12 and he was just about a year younger. He was diagnosed with um, tumor, uh, brain tumor. It was so interesting that how people disappeared around him. People have this fear of, especially for a person that's a young one, because with old ones, we somehow justified it. So it's like, oh, they're old. They lived a life. So the first truth that I learned was the truth of death. And it has informed me and informed my life extensively because I realized that most of us are not living. We're just escaping fear and, and living in the fear and escaping the experience of death. So the first truth that I accepted, and, and I was opposed when you're younger, it's easier. Sure. So uh, we went through it. And I remember actually my friend really helped me to, to do that. One day, we all pretended all as well, even though he wasn't going to school, even though he looked very unusual and, and he had an unusual life. And I was the only young person that would go and visit him. Everybody else was an adult. And one day he brought it up and he said, let's talk about when I leave. And I, and I just like, wow. So he became my first teacher learning about acceptance. And there is no deeper and more meaningful and more influential acceptance, but death. Hmm. And I remember what he did and, and wow, do I owe him. We started imagining I call it imagineering, engineering. (laughs) It's so easy when you're younger and it becomes so clunky when we get older because we are so consumed by facts of life. So anyways, he, he, we said, okay, let's imagine the other world. 
where are you going? And we just made it up. I mean, we had no point of reference. Remember, those days there were like TV was one hour a day. There was no Disney World. There was no books around this. And we started just imagining. We said like we are more energy than body. The density is not as much. As soon as we Mm. want something, it appears. So we made up, basically, when I think about it now, it's like fifth dimensional living that we talk about in the spiritual world right now. And these two unsophisticated kids, we created complete version of a fifth dimensional living where we have physicality, but we're not so dense and clunky and heavy. So by the end of this making, and it went on and on every day after school, I would work and I'd go and visit him and take him to the world of like what was happening outside because he was completely isolated. And then we'll say, shall we do it? And he'll say, yes. So we'll go and, and talk about this another realm of existence that he would be going to when he you know, left his physical body because he knew he was leaving. Everybody knew. So that was the first truth and the biggest truth that I accepted. And you know what? Death is not only death of people. Death is also death of any experience. Sure. In fact, I think people can't end things because they have fear of death, meaning Fear of death really informs and guides all of our experiences. I know I'm stuck in this relationship. I just can't leave it. I know I'm tired and I need to leave this party. I just said like like for half an hour more. I know I had enough food. I just can't leave it. I just can't leave it. Because that ending reminds of, of death of something and death of anything or any person is petrifying to us. Hence, we never experience it as a smooth sailing. So that was my first and most, I think, very deep spiritual experience. And we thought it was a game. We were just playing. And we made two promises. I promised him that I would never feel pity for him, no matter how badly he looked and felt. I fulfilled that promise. And he promised to come and greet me when I go to the other world where he's a resident by the time I go. It fulfills mine. I'm waiting for him to fulfill his. And I'm truly looking forward to going to that realm. And this is not a disappointment of this realm. Actually, if anything, I'm still playing here and I'm planning to be here for a while. But when I go, I really look forward to that. Mm. That's an amazing story. I like a couple of things. I like how you made the point that as children, you were, quote unquote, making this up. But also as children, you're closer to the spiritual realm than you are as an adult. So it's so interesting that so much of what you were saying was probably actually accurate, right? So much of what you were, quote unquote, making up, you were pulling from from the remembrance. The other thing it makes me think about what you're saying about death is this poem um, from Rumi. He talks, he basically says, like, I died as a mineral and became a plant. And then I died as a plant and became uh, animal and I died as an animal and became a human. So why should I fear death? Because basically every time I die, something more beautiful, <laughs> beautiful happens, right? Exactly. And evolution happens and growth happens. Yes. Rumi says, don't lament for my dying and departure because I am not leaving. I am arriving at eternal love. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. No, that's great. That's a, <laughs> that's a big, that's a big <laughs> one to learn at 11. Let's talk a little bit about um, the app. As you know, tons and tons of mindfulness apps out there. 
how does the InterMap app sort of differentiate itself from the other, you know, mindfulness apps out there? Talk a little bit about the stories and then the music that I, that I played in the beginning. So there are a lot of meditation apps, not mindful living apps. In fact, I could not find and my team could not find any mindful living app. And allow me to, to differentiate. So meditation is a great tool, meaning I learn how to work with my survival thinking mind. And that's a great tool. But at best, I will meditate twice or three times a day. Mindful living app says, how can you live the way you meditate, which is huge. So what do I do when I'm arguing with you? What do I do when I'm telling off my partner? How do I mindfully drive in cities and and places that are very congested? How do I object? How do I really even fight with with a sense of mindfulness? So mindful living is very different different than, than meditation. Meditation is a practice of it mindfulness is a real test when I show up because you said something in the beginning uh, about mindful listening. So I've been in this journey for 35 years and been with many wonderful teachers and students. And my only test is how do you live? How do you live? I understand hours and hours. I understand all the things that are on the wall. I understand all the certificates and I really respect them. But my real question is, How do you show up in life? How do you mess up and clean up? Because that's a real thing. And we mess up. I mean, there is no mastery. People have these statements like mastered, meditate, mastery. I mean, there is no mastery because my mind and my consciousness is growing as my journey is growing. But there is ever, ever ongoing journeying through the mindful world and, and spiritual world. So I want to really, I wanted to teach that as much as one can in an app. And I, as you mentioned, I do teach at Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. And I have all these people coming in and taking my classes. My classes used to go to, I mean, used to go because it was not online, to a waiting list. And I asked these people, why do you keep coming? And they said that because you simplify and tell the lessons through stories and we can comprehend that. And the story of that is that I'm I'm sure you checked it. I I have dyslexia, extreme dyslexia. I simplify things only because I need to understand them. And as a scientist told me, a medical professional told me, if I lived in a small town, small village, I'll be the village idiot. That's how my mind, it was a compliment, by the way. That's how, <laughs> even though it doesn't sound like one, um, that's how my mind does not work in a, in a regular way. So if I can get it, believe me, most people, I want to say everyone, but who can say everyone? Most people can get it. So I, I try to put that into the app. So we have smart sounds, which is basically based on a neuroscience of binaural beats, which basically, if you can meditate, can it help you? I wish I could legally say that it meditates you, but you know, all these people Uh, are advising I can't say it. She didn't just say that people. She didn't just say that. that. (laughs) However, if meditation, and sometimes meditation, honestly, it's not even possible like for, for long-time meditators. In fact, when I sit to meditate, when I'm really activated, 
I'm actually focusing on the activation and I get more nervous. A lot of anxious people, for instance, people who are suffering from anxiety, they report to me they cannot sit down. And I say, don't. They say, oh, really? I say, yeah, don't. Do walking, do rocking, do you know, sounds, do other things because sometimes sitting down and focusing on how I'm feeling may bring more of anxiety for me. So that's the smart sounds that, that actually puts you in a heart and mind space and state that you wish to be. And this is through frequencies and um, how that works is a long story. I'm not yes. going to take time. But anyways, that's that. And then the, all the lessons are through stories. And now we've opened it to people's stories. And I would love to hear the stories of mindfulness, either true ones, the ones that have taken place, or the ones that people, people can make up. Because anything that you can make up, you can access. Anything that you and I can make up. In fact, anything that you see, you see this? This was an idea. Somebody imagined, in the native community, somebody imagined this shape, this, this weight, this stone being cut this way, so it was a no thing, it was an idea, and here it is, a thing, I'm holding it. So people say, but imagination is not reality. I say imagination is the mother of reality. It is. So <laughs> if we can imagine it, please imagine your stories. Please do whatever you can to get to the state that you want. So this is the app. It has a bit of meditation, but we are not a meditation app. Okay. It has a lot of coaching. People actually ask me questions every week. I go live, very casual, in my backyard, and I answer people's questions okay. because okay. this is an amazing time that we're going through. Two things I'll say. My next question is actually to ask you about, about coaching, so that's perfect segue. But I'll just tell you, I will submit a story. I've got a couple stories, but I will submit a story, a mindfulness story. That has been my life. And what, what you talked about before with meditation versus mindfulness, to me, mindfulness is the next step. And that's when I teach it, I try to explain to, to my clients, because I also coach that meditation is like practicing what you need to do in real life. So to your point, when you're in the middle of an argument, can you pull that same, go to that same place you were this morning at 6 a.m. sitting in your room? Can you pull it into this argument? The answer is you can but it just, it just takes practice because if you can access it at six in the morning, you can access it at any time, basically. And that's the real practice to be, basically be walking around in a meditative state where you're just completely in the moment and everything is happening new. It's very interesting because it really relates to the concept that you, we were talking about earlier about things needing to die, right? And if you're stuck in the past, then you haven't let the past die. If you're stuck in the future, then it's like you're trying to deal with something that's not even born yet. But if you're sort of in that space where you're mindful, it's like every second you're being born and dying, you know, milliseconds at a time, you're always being renewed. Everything is new. And so it's a, it's a really, really um, great concept. And I encourage folks to check out the, uh, you know, check out the app. It's uh, intermap.me. And I guess they can access it on their Android or their, their um, Apple, uh, Apple device. So talk a little bit about you've been, you've been coaching for 35 years. You said now you even do some, you know, do some coaching. People reach out to you, send you questions. What what do you love about coaching from somebody? I've been doing it for a few years, not 35. What do you love about it and what advice would you give to new coaches? What I love about it is that it gives clarity to people. Really, I mean, I'm a truth teller. People come to me and, and I'm in a place physically, geographically that a lot of 
successful people come and see me. My job is to tell them the truth because we really do not like the truth that much. That's what the show's about. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I I really was uh, looking forward to talking in this. And by the way, allow me to separate, because I teach on this, the difference between truth and reality, because people use the world uh, interchangeably. Please, go ahead. So truth is one. Truth is one. Reality is is our concept, our understanding of, of the truth. So if somebody entered and you and I were in the room, our version of of what happened is completely different. Our realities are different. But really, there was one truth. The person did what it did. So people always use these things. And I say, that's not truth. That's reality. So what's the difference? Reality is what you made up. It's your version of the truth, which goes through many, many filters in life. Where where did the filters come from? From my experiences, from my um, beliefs from my conclusions in life, right? So I decided that women are better at this and than that. It's like, wow, like, do we know all the women in life? No, but I saw three <laughs> women doing it well, so I concluded that women are better. Okay, yeah. so so understanding the truth, and I, the Nietzsche talks about the hammer test, that when you believe something, because belief really is a repeated and practiced thought, that's all it is. We give so much weight to the belief. Hmm. Faith is different than, than belief. So I tell you, say, why do you do this? I say, oh, but, but I believe that. It's like, okay, so that means you, you really practice this thought, right? And people say, oh, yes. <laughs> okay, right. that's what it is. Right. So you need to really put the hammer and tap it and, it and see if it is hot. That means it was just the thought that you had practiced. And if it's not hollow, then that means maybe you're getting close to the truth and maybe it is the truth. But it's important to understand the difference and it's important to understand that no, no truth, meaning a lie, is ever sustainable. And one of the things that is happening in this COVID-19, and we are in the midst of it, we're in September of, of 2020, is that those walls, those, I call it chocolate covered truths, hmm. that there's something there, but put like really yummy chocolate around it to make it look like it's good. Those are all melting and the lies are becoming very, very visible. And I'm not talking about like lies, bad lies. It's like those little things that I told myself and I told the world and and I now see, oh my God, maybe that wasn't true. Mm. You know, yeah. just before, an hour before our session, I was talking to a young woman who told me that she never had this particular problem with her image, her body image. She said, I don't know why recently it's become a problem. And I said, I don't believe that you never had that problem. I believe you had covered it up with something and those things are no longer available. And now the chocolate has melted and you are seeing the lie that maybe you've been telling yourself, not even other people. It was a very risky statement to make to a very young, vulnerable person. And you know what? That was the turning point. And she said, you are absolutely right. I said, well, it's not that I know. It's just, it's obvious because every truth is becoming more obvious. So all the masks, all the chocolate covers that we have put on our lies, pretenses, let's call them, they're all melting. And how lucky we are that they're melting because sooner or later they would have melted anyway. 
Yeah, my wife and I talk about, she says to me, you know, I'm so happy I like you and we laugh about it. But her point is that there's so many people getting divorces during COVID-19 because the veneer is gone. You can't wrap it in work or wrap it in going out. and it, there's, there's nothing to wrap it in. It's just there. It's just you and the person that you have to deal yes. with now and, and the kids. And it gets very intense. And if there's, the foundation is weak, as you said, you know, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to melt away. So It's clarity that I provide and the truth that I provide. But you'll ask me second aspect of it, uh, being mindful about your question. What is my advice to the new coaches? Please do not coach on anything, one, that you don't know anything about, two, that you haven't practiced. Because yeah. it just, I mean, yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, um, if, you don't have so, it, if you don't have it, you can't give it with any, with any power or potency. Yeah. So it's not something I read in a book. And by the way, people know the difference. People immediately know the difference. Because again, no lie is sustainable. So I do get inspired by what I teach and coach. It's not like, you know, I don't, but I do not start at the point that I'm teaching or coaching to practice. I've already practiced. And by the way, I've failed at it many, many times and I'm proud of it and, and share that. But it's not a new idea that I read in a book and, and somebody said, and I thought that's great. The problem with wisdom becoming so popular is that you it's hard to tell the difference between the practitioners and, and readers of wisdom. Yeah, well, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, at least how I understand it. Knowledge is just something you learn. Wisdom is when you actually live the knowledge, like you become the knowledge. That's wisdom. Yes. That's true wisdom. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree. I've been you know, doing spiritual practices for pff, over 10 years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a big difference. <laughs> It's definitely a big difference in somebody just, I recently had the um, interesting uh, experience of talking to someone who's new to meditating, but trying to teach a class. And I just, you know, I just sensed it like this is this, this, this person isn't living this thing yet. So it's interesting. Talk about why is changing the question important? You had posted something about that recently, but I thought it was, mm. it was something powerful for us to expound on a little bit here. Yes, it's the it's the course that I'm teaching online. The title is Change Your Question, Change Your Life. Okay, so it comes from a great teacher who was teaching me, and he told me once that finding answers is not a problem. Asking the right question is a problem. And that really stayed with me, and it really informed my coaching, because when something happens, here's what mind wants to know. The thinking mind says... Why did this happen? Usually why this happened to me or who did it? Hmm. So if you think about these questions, they're both about like catching you. Oh, it was your fault. You did that to me. Or why to me that I'm the victim? So either victimizing you that you have done it or victimizing me because it has happened to me. So by changing your question, and that's the difference between leaders in life and I mean either company leaders or people who lead their life or the victims are alive. So I call them victors and victims. The difference between these two is the questions they ask. So the very simple story about organizational management is because I do a lot of corporate training and, and, and teaching. If you go to an organization and something is wrong, something simple, say somebody spilled the milk in the, in the kitchen of the office, okay? So those who are victimized and victimized 
they go in and say, who did it? Did Mitra spill? I think Mitra spilled the beer. And some of them will go around it. So there are three general categories. Those who talk about the problem for the rest of the day. Do you know she did? It was so messy. It didn't smell. It was so bad. You couldn't go to the kitchen. It's always bad. It's I don't know why people do that. So they go and stay with the problem. Or those who see it and they go around it and they just pretend it's not there. But the true leaders go in. They see the problem. Either they pick up them up and clean it or they find somebody to do it. And they also think about it. You know what? The reason this is happening is because the fridge is too far from this. Maybe we should move the fridge and bring it here and put the milk there. Immediately after understanding, comprehending, deeply comprehending the issue and the challenge, if you like the problem, they go to the answers and solutions. So what is the question that they're asking when they see a problem? The question that they're pondering is how do we address this? It's not about whose fault it is. It's not about why did it happen in my office. It's not about why did it have to happen when I'm in the kitchen. Yes. To me, to my office, to my business, to my group, my team, me, 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 me. (laughs) It goes to how, 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 which is a much bigger question. Of course, I mean, we're going to uh, explore that further, but that's the gist of, of the four recourse that I'm, I'm planning. And the reason I'm doing it is because I hear most people asking wrong questions these days. When is this going to finish? When is COVID-19 going to finish? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. But if I ask, how can this inform my journey? How can I really grow through this? How can I let go of the practices that are not serving me anymore? Those house questions, they all have answers and they all will liberate me from the prison of why and when and who. This is a really important point Mitra is making for the folks listening. That person who went in, the, the, those three types of people, it's one person is I'm victimized right? I'm being victimized by this thing. The other person is, I'm just going to ignore this thing, even though it may bother me, I'm going to ignore it. So that's the avoidance. And then the third person says, how can we, how can we solve this? And so it's, it's just a different way of processing life. And I think we've all been the victim, the avoider and the problem solver. And the question is, how can we approach life that's most natural and beneficial for us, you know, as, as beings on this planet? And I think you would agree that anytime you're a problem solver, you're really what you're doing is you're a nurturer. You're taking care of yourself because those other two, you're really not. Those are other two options. You're really not taking care of yourself. You're the victim or you're just, you know what, I'm just going to grin and bear it. I don't like it, but I'm going to push it all down inside. That's not good either. So that idea of changing the question, I think, is is masterful. And, um, well, you know, 35 years, that's uh, also one of the pearls. Why don't we jump into yes or BS? So I'm going to make a statement and then you can say yes or BS and expound or not expound up to you. Number one, imagination is a gift and a curse. Yes. And the qualifier here is we have autopilot imagination. We have intentional imagination. So intentional imagination is a gift. Autopilot imagination is a curse. Perfect. Number two. This one we addressed already, but I'll just say it for fun. There is only one truth. <laughs> In every area of life, there's one truth and uh, billions of realities. Correct. <laughs> billion, seven billion realities. <laughs> Thank you. 
it would be nice if there would be 7 billion truths. But anyway, that's a whole nother show. The reason I put this in, and I've talked about this in other shows, because um, obviously the, the, the word truth is a, is a big, it holds a lot of energy for what we're trying to do here. People always often talk about my truth. And so I did a whole show just talking about the differences between my truth, your truth, their truth, and actual, what actually is happening, the actual truth. So it's, yes. it's an important distinction to make. Yes. And I suppose that was the reality and truth that, that you, you, different wording, but same concept. Same yeah. concept. I don't use reality. I use perception. So I say the truth is the truth and we have, everybody has different perceptions, but yes. I like reality too, because reality would, I, I could see how in a coaching manner, it could slap somebody even harder psychically because they're like, you're like, well, that's a nice reality, but it's not the truth. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, it's what you made real for yourself. Sure. You see, if I keep thinking you're the enemy or you're the best person on earth, I make that real for me. Yeah. And then I talk about it as if it's the, the truth. Right. And that's where we get into trouble. Right. Yeah. Big trouble. Number three, mindful listening is easy. <laughs> Well, it gets easier, yes, when you <laughs> practice, yes, when you are intentional about your listening, absolutely. The question is, what is my job as a mindful listener? And when you resign from every other position, and when you hire yourself for one position, it's very easy. What's the position? To hear you. But when I want to fix you, when I want to compete with you, when I want to correct you, when I want to do all these things, of course it's hard. But if I, if you said, Mitra, your job is to sit there and listen. I said, okay, sure, I can do that. I listen until you're done. No problem. But if I'm preparing, I'm thinking, oh, he said he does this. What? Oh, let me see if I can find it. And mine needs to be better than yours, definitely, because I'm competing in my mind. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, let me see. So where is it? Oh, oh, I forgot. What were you saying? Because I went to find something better. Or I thought, or loving people do that. But I want to fix it for you. No, she's not a refrigerator. You don't need to fix her. This is so important. I'm making this a statement and it's a huge statement. 35 years, four continents. I've listened to people. I call it from bedrooms to boardrooms to courtrooms. I was a human rights commissioner and an adjudicator. If I was to identify one issue in the world, most common issue, from men, women, tall, short, here, there, educated, uneducated, young, old, we are all unheard. We are unheard at work, we are unheard at home, and we are unheard everywhere in between. So imagine what would be the best gift hmm. I can give any person, whether I love them or not. Say we just work together, I just care for you. Is to hold the space and just listen. And you know what? Most people just want somebody to listen to them. Most of the time, I don't want anybody to fix anything for me. I just want you to hold the space so I can just tell you how difficult it's been for me. And that's all I want. That's all I want. That's what most people want, believe it or not. But in the way of me finding solutions and fixing it and giving it to you and finding people, I let go of the most precious thing that I could do for you and you could do for me. And that is to hold the space and just listen. I feel like we should just end the show now. 
Ah, I've got a couple more, but I'm going to come back to that. Number four, drama turns into trauma. <laughs> yes, it does. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Yes. No BS there. Absolutely. And give your definition of trauma. Okay. Trauma is an undigested emotion or memory. It's like if I ate a food and I told you for 30 past years, it's still in my body, you would rush me to ER. Imagine that emotion that I had when I was this age and that whatever it was, the situation, and it hasn't gone through me. Because just look at what emotion is. Emotion is energy in motion, and everybody knows that in the world of mindfulness. So emotion, energy in motion, is supposed to have motion about it. It's supposed to enter and exit through me. When it enters and never exits, it stays there, just like anything else that stays in the system. You pour this beautiful water and let it stay there for two weeks. It's going to start smelling. It's going to be unhealthy, right? That's exactly what trauma is, that it's an experience, a memory, a, an emotion, really, a feeling that has never, ever been digested by me. So the moment you mention that name, and people are sensitive about that, the motion you bring is smell. Sometimes it's, it's actually scent. The moment you bring that music, the trauma comes back as if no time has elapsed for 35 years, 35 days, 35 weeks, I'm still in that state. And really it's irrelevant how important, or as people call it, how bad the incident was. What's important is how bad I remember it and I'm holding it in my system. So there is a respect that we need to give to trauma and there is an attention that we need to give it and see how important it is to allow it to come out of us. And that goes back to the truth that you're talking about. Part of that trauma is lack of acceptance of the truth. I haven't accepted that I lost my father. I haven't accepted that somebody left me. I haven't accepted that I failed. I haven't accepted you, you know, I can give you the whole list. These are all the emotions that are sitting on top of each other and they're starting to smell and being unhealthy right now. So I become super sensitive about any word you use, anything you mention. Say, oh, did you talk to me about that? Where you and, and people become like that because they haven't digested it, their emotions and their memories. And when we digest them, I still hear it if, you know, somebody's unkind to me, but it's not as traumatizing and petrifying as it would be when I haven't digested my emotions. So the, the way that drama, we're talking in the present tense, can turn into trauma if it becomes something that's a little prolonged, even if it's a one hour argument, it doesn't matter if it, if it becomes undigested in you, then it can you know, last for, for many years. That's important. I, I work, I, you probably don't know this about me. I work specifically with people who've experienced trauma. So, um, all the things that you're, you're talking about, I see, and, um, it's tough, it's tough, but it's so beautiful when you get to the other side and you're able yeah. to really excavate all those stories, all those, you know, false, false feelings and transform them. By the way, one of the reasons you can, you, you can identify trauma and it could be little traumas. It doesn't need to be trauma, like I was like almost killed the trauma, is when your reaction 
is dramatic to something smaller. Sure. When when you look at it and you say, yeah, that wasn't good, but I'm like losing it. That means that, that I have kept a trauma around that drama. I'm dramatizing. So they feed each other. Feed each other. Dramatizing right. brings trauma. Trauma brings dramatization because that's a very important point. It's a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy of absolutely of uh, negative negativity. <laughs> All right, number five: Americans are addicted to violence. Correction: We are normalizing violence in the world. It's not just Americans, and uh, we have made violence entertainment, and that's a dangerous thing to do yeah. because what becomes normal then I can do, I can watch, and I can let it go. And you do that in life. I mean, another truth that needs to come out that this is not done right. You see it. I mean, I don't have a TV, to be honest with you. The reason for that is I don't need to subject myself to violence. I pick and choose what I want to watch. I still watch things, but I don't let them come at me. I go at them when I'm ready and when I know what I'm watching. But absolutely, you see little kids. I mean, look at the games they play. Mm-hmm. I look at it. I mean, just just uh, even just the music of it, it it hurts my spirit. And I'm looking at this beautiful child, and I'm thinking, how can they watch this and play this day in day out? Absolutely, the world is normalizing violence, and that's a violent act when you normalize something that does not need to be normal, meaning what most people do and accept. Yeah, TV is is a trip. I remember when I was in high school, no, I was about 12 or 13. I was watching the show on television and it was the first time I ever saw they actually showed someone snorting cocaine on TV. And it like, it did something to me. I was like, whoa, you know, and now that's normal. But I just remember as a kid feeling somewhat like violated, like, oh God, I'm not even supposed to be seeing this. And so to your same point, over the years, I remember years ago, uh, Color Me Bad came out with that song, um, I Want to Sex You Up. And that was like a big deal, you know, in junior high school, man, he said sex on a song and it was on the radio. <laughs> oh my God. And now you listen to the songs. I mean, they're not just talking about sex. They're borderline raping these women they're rapping about, right? <laughs> so yeah, there's something about normalizing violence. That's one of the dangers of some of the leadership that we have that, 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 that we have right now because they normalize a lot of things that really should not be normal, normalized. I don't really like to talk about politics, but I had to mention that. Okay, <laughs> last one. Number six, and this, this is uh, directly from you, but I want you to expound on the point. Racism is about winning. Absolutely. Just think about the word. Isn't that interesting? Words so interesting. say so much. Racism. <laughs> I'm racing with you. Are you better than me or am I better than you? There's a winning and losing. Just the word itself is fascinating. Why didn't we call it like origin or something else? I'm racing. What is your race and what is my race? And I'm saying, I don't know. I know we lived, probably our ancestors lived in different parts of the world. And hence, whatever I look like and you look like and they look like and whatever. but. Where did we come from? Uh, One place. (laughs) Ferdowsi is a a 
beautiful, all the poets in Persian language are also philosophers. And he starts this huge book, the book of the kings or letters of the king with saying, we are all parts of the same body. And until we realize that, and until we hurt when other part of the body hurts, we will not get this. We cannot be called human beings. And if you look at the body as a metaphor for who we are, do you think my parts of the body are identical to each other? Like my hands look like my knees or your eyes look like your nose? No. So diversity is name of the game of creation. Sure. But then we're using the same very thing that it's the beauty of creation in order to differentiate and separate and isolate and us and you and me and theming people. So my feet never argue with my brain and say, excuse me, you look different than me. I'm not going to cooperate with you. <laughs> and, and for a body, for a healthy body to operate, it needs to have harmonious cooperation of different parts of the body. And I'm sure there are different colors happening in here. I'm sure there, there are different functions happening in a healthy body. And that's the metaphor that I use for, for race, that it is really sad that in 2020, we are talking about race still. Come on. I was a young kid when it was going on. Yeah. My hair is all gray and I'm going to die soon. Still? Really? We're still talking about this? I mean, and, and of course we have to because it hasn't been resolved. It's right. not a criticism of why are you bringing it up? Right. It's a criticism of why haven't we resolved it yet? It's really... Yes, we do need to, absolutely, because it's still a problem. It's a, it's a trauma that has not been resolved. And of course, it's going to come back. And yes, yes, it's exaggerated. It has to be, because that's the only time that you're going to listen. If you haven't listened for so many decades, the only way to get the attention is that I have to scream sometimes. And yeah, we're well, still talking about race it's the trauma feeding into the drama feeding into the trauma feeding into the drama yes. this is exactly yes. what we just talked about <clears throat> exactly and it's understandable it is understandable say i'm burning and i have screamed 10 times i'm burning and nobody's listening so i'm screaming now and people are coming and saying oh come on why are you screaming so well because i'm burning <laughs> can, <laughs> can you see i'm burning that's why you don't yeah. understand because you're not burning, but I am burning. So, yes, the word itself says it all. Yeah. And, yeah, we're still talking about it in 2020. Yeah. We, yes, we are. Yes, we are. But great opportunity to resolve and dissolve and move forward. Anything that comes to our attention and it's still a problem also comes with a beautiful promise and opportunity. It's always better to come out. The chocolate has melted. Let it come out. Let us see where we are not being truthful. If it's in the area of the race, let's resolve that. Let's talk about that. Let's sit at the table. And if it's in the area of whatever, let's do that too. But obviously, this is, this is, there's a collective consciousness that is telling us this is so for us. And I can't sit out there and say, why is it so? I don't know, because it's so. Because it's, my, <laughs> it's not a logical thing. It's like, it's there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, Mitra. Thank you so much. I think the, the people got a nice dose of truth today. 
tell the people how they can reach you, connect with you, learn more about the app and learn more about uh, your courses and your coaching. My name, MitraManesh.com is the best place to go. And for InnerMap, they can go to App Store. Just one correction. Sorry, I forgot to correct that. We're not in Android. We're not in Google. We are only in App Store right now. So please go there or innermap.me. You can go to Mitra Manesh. Everything will be there. But yeah, if anything goes home for you, join us. If not, we have a lot of free stuff. You can just you know listen to those. This is something that people need to be ready because, as you said, this is for people a bit further down the road of journey. It's not for beginners, even though many beginners enjoy being with us. But if it's for them, they'll find me. If it's not for them, there's no advertising that will grab them. And I hope that they don't come just because I advertise (laughs) well. I don't believe in that. I believe that right people find right people. Yeah, agreed. Thank you, Mitra. I'm very grateful for your questions. I'm very grateful for your answers and for your presence and for the work that you've done over the last 60 plus years. It's uh, it's remarkable and um, something to be uh, something to be admired. Thank you. How sign off is always do good people. The truth will set you free if you let it. <laughs>